Welcome to Call Your Hits, a Storm Riders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This is going to be part two of our Operation Last Refuge Spore Cloud conversation. At time of recording, Spore Cloud, I should say, happened two days ago. Uh, it was a really wet day full of ambushes, smoke grenades, and really hard-won airsoft battles, uh, as we're going to discuss. Today, we'll be going over the event uh, from a more of a gameplay organizational standpoint. Obviously, there'll be some details about the, the event uh, storyline and, and combat and stuff like that uh, uh, throughout. But we will also be doing a full video overview of this event, just like we did for Last Refuge 2, uh, because we had Jason out with his drone and his camera. I had my GoPro going, etc. So, uh, you know, stay tuned for that. That's going to be coming out in, you know, several weeks. Um, but really today we wanted to do a bit of an after action around what went well at this event uh, from an organizational standpoint, gameplay standpoint, et cetera. We were trying a, a lot of new mechanics, so we're going to talk about that. And we also want to talk about what could have gone better and why. Um, we've collected some early feedback from many different players. About half of the players who attended have provided us feedback, some more useful than others. Um, but regardless, <laughs> uh, so we can talk a, a little bit about that and uh, our thought process with respect to that. Um, before we get into the episode, though, if you're listening to this episode and you played in the event, firstly, thank you very much for coming out. Uh, I know that I can speak for myself and Pat and many of the other Storm Riders. It was an absolute blast for us to be able to put this off for you guys. Um, Pat and I especially worked really hard for months leading up to the event in designing the game, ironing out logistics, uh, coming up with new gameplay mechanics, making the props that we needed to make for the game, and also working with the outdoor field manager, the frontline outdoor field manager, Mike Keats. Uh, this really would not be possible at all uh, without Mike's support in uh, in letting us organize these events. It's really good to see everyone out and playing and having a blast, right? Like, yeah. That's kind of the payoff for us. Yeah, if you think about the op itself, like in terms of a player base, uh, they had 15 blue players, uh, including the commander, uh, excluding the commander, I should say. So 16 blue players total. And then on the red team, they had somewhere in the vicinity, I think, of 25 or 26 players. So we did exceed the 40 player mark. And that's not including the fact that you also had about eight Storm Riders out at the game. So if you look at the total amount of Airsofters at this event, it was close to the 50 mark, which for us is pretty big. Uh, it's not 50 players worth of revenue for Frontline, unfortunately, uh, but 50 players on the airsoft field for us is, is huge. So we were, were really thrilled about that. And overall, it was a really great day, which would not have been possible without everyone who attended, all the volunteers from the team and so on. Um, so a big, big, huge shout out to yeah. everyone who was involved. Kudos to everyone for coming out and playing, helping out, everything. Yeah, great. absolutely. So... With that out of the way, with our with our initial thanks out of the way, I want to jump in and talk about uh, talk about the event. And I guess the first place that I wanted to um, to start is with the pregame briefing. So this is something that we did at the last game. Uh, it's something that we tried again this time. And to be honest, it's something that almost all large games, large events. Uh, that I've talked to for people in the States and so on and so forth, uh, that happens, right? So you, we gave the opportunity for um, players to come out the night before to chronograph their replicas and to attend a safety brief so that they could avoid having to do that the next morning. So we took players' names down. Um, we noted like the BB weight they were using, et cetera. And we were doing random checks throughout the day and it to was, make sure that nobody was cheating chrono or whatever, right? And it was really helpful to us. Um you know, partly because it meant that we could get a bunch of stuff that had to be done one way or another done the night before, right? So yeah. croning people pregame was a big help to us. Um, you know, I really, thanks to the people who came out for the pregame briefing, just because it let us do some logistical stuff beforehand, uh, which made the morning less uh, all over the place for us. Definitely. Right? And you know. if you look at the player count of people who were out the night before to get chronoed and stuff like that, um, we were... 
over 12 people, I think we had 14 people, 14 players out. So if you look at the total amount of players who are at the game, it's like somewhere around like 30 or 40% of players, right? So it's not as many as we would have liked, but it's certainly a good uh, a good start. So where it's more than last time, I think we're making progress in that area. I think this is sort of peeking behind the curtain of organizational um, sort of strategy for us to to call it. We want more and more players to come out to these pregame briefings. It makes our life on the morning of a lot easier. It makes sure that the game can start on time. Uh, it makes sure that people aren't delayed. And it also makes sure that players who might potentially have an issue the night before actually get a chance to identify that they have an issue so that maybe they can stay up a little bit later that night and tech or do whatever <laughs> it is they need to do, swap a spring out if they need to downgrade, whatever it is. And being able to do that the night before uh, and rather than coming up to the game and then realizing, oh crap, my stuff doesn't work. Um, I guess I can't play or I got to have to use a loaner or I have to use my backup, which I don't really like or, or whatever, whatever. That kind of sucks, right? So being able to figure that out ahead of time is huge. But for us as organizers, it really allows us to have a much easier day the next morning. Now, the other thing that it does, which I think is super, super important, is it gives players the opportunity to familiarize themselves with the rules ahead of time. So if you, and, and you know- And ask us I, I questions, want, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Know, so not only do they get a chance to like hear the briefing early and then they can think about it and ask us questions the next yep. morning if they need to, but like it was a chance to hang out and have a chat and you know talk about airsoft and the game and the intent of our rules uh, yes. in a way that was definitely helpful for players yeah and i think for a lot of you who are attending maybe bigger games you probably don't have conversations with the organizers about the gameplay intent of certain rules that are put in place like this is the rule why is that the rule like why did you put that and what what do you want to happen as a consequence of that so i think that's cool um, but really yeah, what I would say to a community being, you know, comparatively smaller and more yeah, for sure. interactive. But, but right? What I would say about it overall though, is that in this type of community, we have a lot of players. I'm going to say like 80% of our players or more who had never played an event with a rule set as complicated as the rule set we had for this event, both in terms of the scoring mechanics, the revive mechanics, if you were on blue, uh, et cetera. Uh, if you've seen our other video sort of, our lead-in video for the operation game, that was a thing that I was concerned about, um, mm. you know, and that Phil and I had a lot of conversation about just in terms of uh, are people going to be able to step up to this level of complexity? Because we've got a lot of new players. We've got a lot of players who've never done anything like yeah. this before. And I got to say, it went really well. Um, we had very few hiccups, um, partly, I think, due to some good rules writing on Phil's part. Um, and partly due to the fact that like our staff were available to answer questions really sort of like on the nose as needed, uh, yeah. but it went really well. I was yeah. super pleased. And, and to be honest, I think I really approach this from the, the point of view of we have a community that is pretty new, pretty, uh, I would say, let's say um, in its infancy with respect to these types of games, but I didn't want them I didn't want us to say, oh, well, they're not going to get it, so we're not going to try. I was way more on the on the side of, well, let's give it a shot, and if it falls flat, then it falls flat. Uh, and I, I'm happy to report, as Pat just said, that it didn't really fall flat. But to come back to it, the rules are complex. And we did everything we could to make sure that people had enough time and opportunity to familiarize themselves with the rules and come to the game like when the game whistle blew at 9.05, we'll talk about that in a second. But when the game whistle blew, that they were as familiar with the rules as as possible. And we did this by putting the rule set out in a PDF, which is you know something that all games do, which is great. But we also did a live Q&A, uh, like a live stream Q&A with our community for the community uh, with a live rules reading. So I read through the entire rule packet and answered questions by people who were in the chat after the fact. I feel very strongly that like if you showed up for this event and didn't know how the game was supposed to work or the shape of the rules, either you were like, there were a couple of people who were like, Oh, I came with my big brother. All right. Fair enough. Whatever. Like no criticism. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But like, if you're part of the active regular community and you showed up and were like, I have no idea what's going on here. That's on you. You didn't yeah, absolutely. try. <laughs> cause, cause we did the live stream and the PDF 
and we did the pre uh, the pregame briefing as well and we did a briefing the next morning so there was like pat was saying like if you showed up and you didn't know anything at all about the rules that is on you 100% now in the feedback forms that we submitted one person said that we didn't do enough and i'm like 100% bullshit we did tons and i would say more than you would normally expect from game organizers at events of this of this style and so like that I, you know i know it's, it's definitely a professional thing for me like i'm a teacher people not listening to me when i explain stuff is part of my day-to-day -day life yeah um but like if i had explained something as many times as this my response would just be like sure yeah. <laughs> the other thing I will say before we move on to the game is one of the decisions that we made, and if you listen to the previous podcast, is the blue team had sort of a locked-in structure, right? So we said uh, there's going to be 15 or so blue players. There was 15 plus the commander. And we picked those players, and those are the people who were going to be on that team, right? So some players who have more experience. So you had, you know, Jeremy, and you had Chris Kidney who was there. Uh, you had Sasha who was there. Um, you know, players who've played Airsoft uh, for a really long time. And then you also had players who this was their very first season. Uh, and so you had a good mix of people on that team, which was great. But because they had such a specific role to play, because their rule set was more complicated, Jeremy, uh, as the commander, take, took a lot of, se of steps to make sure that all of his players were aware of the critical rules that uh, were uh, impacting his team. So they went over them in, the, in their group chat. He answered all kinds of questions. He did polls and uh, quizzes to try and get them familiar. And so at the very least, we had a group of players on the blue team who I can say with a high degree of confidence, 90% of them were extremely well-versed in the rules. And Where we had know. a bit more of a challenge was on the red side, because we did not have a locked-in structure, aside from Matt Davis, who was the team's commander. And I spoke to Matt, I think, two or three days before the event, and I asked him, it's like, hey, has anybody reached out to you as, uh, you know, as the red commander on the red team? to talk strategy, et cetera. And he's like, no, the only person who who's reached out to me was one guy to tell me that unfortunately he has the flu and he can't come out, which fair enough, if you got the flu, stay home. Um, but if that's the only person, he wasn't able to do any sort of strategizing. So uh, that part worked really well for Blue. And in future, I really want to see how we can, how we can achieve that. Because I think, especially for those of you who are listening to this, who um, maybe you live in the U.S. and you've attended some of these like national events, uh, like the EMS events and stuff like that, um, where they can say, hey, we're, we have 300 or 400 tickets for this event. And they expect that they're going to sell out, right? Or at least one side will sell out and then the other one may need to be balanced or whatever. Um, that's not our situation here right? We can't put a cap on the number of players because we simply do not have enough players here. You know, we could practically have accommodated another 20 or 30 people easily for that game. Yeah. Um, and we planned it to to work with the number we expected, which is around 40, 50. And we also planned it to work with more if we got more. Yeah. But, but the, the challenge is that, I mean, if we were to cap it, at a percentage of the overall population that's available, kind of like what they do for these large national events. Let's say we cap it at like 75% of our population. So what, we cap it at 25, 30 seats? Like that doesn't make any sense. And conversely, we could say no more than 100 tickets. Yeah, we don't have 100 players. So a cap doesn't make sense. We always have to have the door open for people to just come and go, et cetera. And we also can't force players to register and say, hey, if you don't register, you can't play because we need them to play. So it's it's a bit of a unique uh, challenge, but I think we did really well by locking in the blue team roster and letting them strategize. And I think that in future, we will also do something similar to say both teams will have a locked in confirmed roster and then at least they can start strategizing. And if you want to strategize, you can put your name on that roster and then at least then you can you can figure it out. So that's something that we'll, we'll certainly look at in future because um, it worked well for, you know, just under one half of our players on Saturday. And, you know, we're always going to have people who just sort of walk on, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the good things in some ways and challenging things in other ways about yeah. the way our community functions. So, like, I mean, we had a person who regularly plays paintball, showed up and went, this sounds cool. I want in, rented gear, played, had a blast. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a good outcome <laughs> from my point yeah, of view. Yeah. And 
For sure. Or like, like the example you're saying, it's like, I came with my older brother. Like we want people to be able to, to do that. Like, Hey, I'm renting gear. My, my older brother's got, you know, Blasto, Blasto gear. Great. Uh, I'm going to rent my Blasto from, from frontline. Excellent. And we want that said that door to still be open. Um, so I think that is sort of the lead up to, so the night before, et cetera, the briefing was great. Uh, we had several questions that we were able to answer. Um, we have some some great conversations with the people who were there. Um, and I, I'm really grateful. Some of the players who were there for that briefing were also there for the briefing the next day as well, uh, which is great. Like, I mean, there's no, there's not, there's not too much information in, in this particular context. So excellent. And often, honestly, it meant that they could field questions um, mm -hmm. sort of quietly in the back, which was also really helpful. So let's if we move on to the next day um so the the game was scheduled to start at 9 a.m sharp uh this is something that i'm going to keep hammering at because uh i feel that airsoft standard time is garbage like it doesn't make any sense if you have a start time you need to adhere to it and as far as things are within my control stuff that i plan or that we plan as a group is going to start on time full I mean stop that's it. Because fundamentally, I think there's a lot of players who, when you give them a start time, they organize themselves to be ready for the start time. And if you just show up late and you expect the organizers to cater to you, um, that is disrespecting the people's time who are actually going out there and trying to be on time and, and make good progress. So um, I think that I will continue hammering it. Did we actually start on time? Spoiler alert, we did not. But we were only five minutes late. And at nine o'clock, uh, sorry, I don't mean to keep cutting you off, but at nine o'clock, I said to Jeremy on the radio, I was like, I'm going to blow the whistle. And he's like, I need five minutes. And I was like, fine. Um, and at five minutes, I, I well, at like 9.04, I, I, I radioed him and I was like, um, lawman, this is voodoo. This is your one minute warning. This is non-negotiable. And he was like, okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, and at 9.05, I, I started the <laughs> This is your one-minute warning. I'm coming over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm I'm okay, right? So in that, like, the first time, first game we did, it was scheduled to start at 9. We started at 9.15. The second game we did was scheduled to start at 9, and we started at 9.05. We made progress. Maybe next time we'll start at 8.55. I don't know. I mean, the uh, other thing that's, <laughs> I think, valid to note here is that, like, we did that as a courtesy to Jeremy. Largely, you know, we didn't, you didn't want him to stress out any more than he already was. Well, yeah. But we could have just said, no, nah, we're starting at nine. And like, it wouldn't have affected him or his team or the other team enormously if we'd just gone mm -hmm. ahead on time. Um, yeah. You know, it turns out that um, really uh, red team had a lot of wrangling to do because they hadn't coordinated beforehand. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, so it would have given blue, I guess, five minutes less of, time with the advantage of having planned more mm -hmm. uh, but i don't think it would have given them um or five minutes less time but i don't think it would have ruined things for them um you know so uh yeah i'm inclined to say that's that's a huge benefit like uh our uh weekly games tend to be like people tend to show up late or super late um, and like, sometimes I'm one of the people showing up late, not because I don't care about other people's time, but because I have colitis sometimes. <clears throat> Sorry, I coughed. I meant to say often. <laughs> it's good to have friends. Uh, um, the point I was trying to get to there is that like, usually if I'm showing up late, it's because my internal organs have gone, no, sit down. Yeah. Um, but. And to be honest, we had that happen with one of the volunteers. John wasn't feeling well the morning of. He's like, listen, I'm so sorry. I, I, he showed up like just on time as the game was starting. I'm like, it's cool, man. That happens, right? But I think what I'm trying to get at and what we, we know we're talking about is a systemic thing where every single game starts late. And I'm like, I, that doesn't play for me. Totally. Anymore, and like especially thing, like something like this. Totally. And the thing that I was going to say is like, A, for stuff like this, I get up early enough that I'm there. Right? Yeah. Like. Um, you know, does that sometimes mean that I'm getting up at like five because I'm like, all right, guts, if you're being asshole, we're doing that early and getting out the door. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Whatever. So, you know what? Enough browbeating and chastising people for being late. If you're late, well, whatever. Like, uh, we're going to move on. Um, but so we, we showed up, it was like seven 30. The staff showed up. We were just having our conversations, making sure that we were aligned on what needed to happen that morning. Uh, some of the steps that we had taken to alleviate our task is we had said, well, since red is the 
proverbial owner of the last refuge, the village. Y'all have cardboard, y'all have staple guns, because we provided them. Um, figure yourselves out. And um, this resulted in some really it, funny uh, instances of people being like, all right, I have cardboard, that'll stop BBs. I'm like trying to use it as a shield while they advance to cover, and then realizing yeah. that that was not wise. <laughs> yeah, and so I think, you know, the cardboard aspect in terms of gameplay, I think so there was some confusion about that. And I, you know, there's something in, in the future that I'm not sure. So we gave that to the players and we said, guys, you figure yourselves out. Like it's, this is your last refuge, your village. You can put up cardboard however you want. And the cardboard counts as a solid wall, right? If you put it in a window or you put it in a door, people cannot like go through it. It's like, it doesn't exist. It's just, it's flat. So they started putting it up. But then it wasn't clear, oh, does that mean that I can't be hit if I hit get hit by a BB that came through it? Does that count? Or does it not count? So there was some confusion there. Yes, and then the, like little things yeah. to tinker and, with. And like they were cutting gun holes in the cardboard. And it's like, oh, that seems a little bit gamey. And I'm like, I definitely agree with you. I didn't specify that you could or could not do that. And I can absolutely see where someone might say, it feels cool and it looks cool to me. And if I get shot through it, then no big deal, right? Like I'll take the hit. But some person, other person might say, no, I'm not going to take that hit or whatever. And then it gets starts getting really murky. So overall, I'm not sure if I would do that part again. Or if I did, I would reconfirm with the teams and I would go and inspect. I would go inspect the cardboard and say, yes, this is okay. No, that's not okay. You have to take it down. I yeah, think it's, that's it's something really we could have done part It's really through. a clarity thing. Yeah. Um, but it also isn't a thing that caused, I think, any real egregious problems during play. So, um, like, it's definitely an even better if, but not a one that I'm enormously stressed about so much as I am. Like, I will just tweak that a little next time. <laughs> definitely. And I think some of, some of the blue players were, uh, in, their, in their feedback, gave that a, a, as feedback, being like, that did not feel very fun. And it was, it was a little bit gamey. But that was also towards the end of the day where energy levels were at an all-time low. And so your ability to cope with something like that in terms of how are you going to react to it on the field, what are you going to do, like, is pretty low. So yeah, you're seeing this, and instead of being like problem-solved mode, you're like, this is frustrating, I hate it. Right. I, so definitely I, super tired by the end of the day. And yeah, definitely. Understandably. So yeah. I can see why towards the end of the day, like, oh, right? Like, this is making me cranky. Um, yeah. But um, an easy tweak from an organizational standpoint. Like, it's not hard for us to fix that next time. Yeah. So the game started, like, basically on time. Um, Red was doing a lot of wrangling. And this is mostly because their commander, Matt, had to figure out on their team who actually understood what was going on, what was the priorities. And while he was trying to do that... I, as the the like headquarters or command or whatever you want to call it, I was also giving him tasks to do because that's part of the game. So now as a commander, he's starting to get like pulled in 5 million different directions because he's got a mission to go out there and identify the uh, fungus harvesting sites and to bring some crates out there. Uh, to bring the villagers out there and start harvesting fungus. And he's trying to do that and organize his people to do it and then find the villagers to do that and then get them to cooperate. And the villagers have their own roles and maybe they don't want to. And all of this is happening simultaneously. So it made for a very hectic, like, first part of that, you know, like first, let's say 45 minutes of that first hour. Yeah. Uh, he was wrangling Muppets for, for 45 minutes, right? There was not not a plasto to be blastoed. It was strictly Muppet wrangling for about 40 minutes for him, which I think, again, is not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's definitely an experience for him, but it's not really as a game organizer what I intended. I definitely intended some wrangling, uh, some sort of being pulled in multiple directions. I think that was a little too much. And it comes down to, I think, the fact that uh, there wasn't enough prep on their end uh, by virtue of the way that we had it set up. So I think that's definitely for me an even better if. How do I equip that commander in that situation to be able to um, not rise to the challenge? Because I think Matt definitely did, spoiler alert, because his team won. But also uh, just in terms of not being as overwhelmed because i think that's not necessarily a fun feeling it's a cool feeling once and it's probably a cool feeling like oh my god i had so much to do that's fine but if it sort of perpetuates over multiple you know minutes and into an hour like that seems like 
okay it's yeah. probably too much i think uh, at least my initial thought on it is that if we feel like that's going to happen again um mm -hmm. when we're especially if we're looking at sort of having um a team that is you know and i know we're going to work on making it so that they're more coordinated going in but still if we have a team that we think is going to be relatively uncoordinated or less coordinated than we want i feel like a good outcome there might be to assign a uh like a two ic or two uh yeah who are also well, to be honest i was expecting him to assign one and i was also expecting someone on his team to come to rise to that challenge they had some very experienced player on the red team uh i know that there were uh, a couple of guys from the uh one legion and stuff like that um and i was totally expecting them to just jump just rise to that occasion be like hey uh we're here to support you whatever you need because their 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 team leader rob was the commander of red last game so i totally expect them to be like all right cool how can we support matt etc and that didn't really happen for whatever reason and i know uh matt ended up relying on some other people on the team and i think they eventually got there but right at the beginning um there like that that wasn't happening and so matt was having to try and wrangle his people assign it to ic figure out the defenses do all this kind of stuff and it just it didn't uh, it took longer i think than i really expected right i expected on there, my there was a lot on of doing my, it like, live in there <laughs> yeah and on my schedule of the day like i expected the first shipment to be completed within the first or the first delivery of spores uh of sh uh what, what do we call it uh fungus samples excuse me uh, I expected the first delivery of samples to happen within the first 30 minutes. And that actually did not happen until the first hour. Right. So really, you know, about a half an hour behind on, on that. Yep. And, you know, part of that is just, you know, wrangling is wrangling. People can be a challenge, um, yeah. you know, but also that had some interesting immersion gameplay effects. <laughs> Most certainly. And it also gave blue a tremendous advantage uh, right at the, at the, right off the start and i'm not going to divulge too much because you can watch the recap video when we make it um but because red was so occupied it really did allow blue to move around the field and very quickly more quickly than i expected blue was starting to engage red in the village right so the village was their spawn which as a side note i thought it was hilarious in some of the feedback um the blue players were saying oh well they were spawn camping us i'm like yeah you guys were spawn camping them too like <laughs> that's how that yeah. particular thing just worked but regardless um very very early while red was trying to figure their stuff out blue was starting to attack them which again sidetracks a lot of that right so um that's yes. as an organizer hard to organize even harder to organize while people are shooting you as it turns yeah. out <laughs> and it was funny because it was i got two sides of that on the one hand red was slower getting organized than i thought and blue was much faster getting organized than i thought so it led to Within the first like 45 minutes, I'm like, wow, okay, this is not going the way that I expected. And not in a bad way, not certainly not in a bad way, but I'm like, this is not what I expected was going to happen. Just which, in a, hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. We envisioned a thing and other stuff is happening. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I think. Um, in terms of the, the 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 gameplay, like they were really they were really starting to get organized. You know, within the first like couple of hours, uh, the team started to figure out their own groove, start to figure out their own dynamic. Um, and in terms of one of the key mechanics that we were testing was around uh, how do how would it work if we let people move outside of the bounds of the field? And that was really interesting at the start because the blue team was able to enter the field really quickly on one of the basic like uh, uh, ingress points on the field and then immediately cut into the woods and start and start looping around, which they were able to utilize fairly well. Um, but other areas of the field, they could be seen very easily. Right. So those became that and I thought they would be in uh, like ingress points for them or infill points for them. Um, and actually they turned out not to be very effective because the other team could see them. And while they were trying to make their way through the woods, they were getting shot at. Right. So that gives them the opportunity then to, uh, or sorry, that, that gives them the penalty. Like they start taking casualties. They've got to, to redcon, uh, back to, back to the start. So some of the, uh, infill points that I thought would be good turned out to be non-starters. And then the blue team was also having to deal with the dynamics of what is out there. So they kept, you know, throughout the day, I kept hearing, oh, we can't go that way because there's, you know, there's a, a lake or a pond. And it's like, well, just go around it. You have a whole forest, dude. Like, use it. It's also But one of many of those where... players had never experienced that, right? So they, they, they didn't know that they could or they didn't really know. They weren't thinking that way, right? Yeah, I mean, 
we played up at Redcliffe for so long that, you know, just, all right, well, I need to go deeper into the bushes, whatever. That's yeah. ingrained. We figured that out ages ago. Uh, but for a lot of our players who never played that kind of game, it's like, what do I do? There's a lake in the way. Go deeper into the woods. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then also the skill of land navigation, right? Like, so you're in the woods. How do you not get disoriented? Which way are you supposed to be going? Because you're like ducking under branches, climbing over trees, you get turned around. Which way are we going again? Like, do you actually know your cardinal directions and all? So that was a, a challenge the plan for them here. <laughs> yeah. But again, the feedback from the players was most of them, except for one player on blue who was like, I didn't like walking through the woods. It sucked. Bro, we literally told you that that's what you were going to do that day. So, you know, maybe pump the brakes. <laughs> uh, but the vast majority of them actually found that very fun, right? The vast majority of the feedback that we got was like, that was cool to be able to do that. But it was also very hard going. And um, that is absolutely true. Um, the blue team were physically much more tired than the red team because they had to move so much more. Yep. Right? And, and through denser, more difficult terrain, like, you know, that, and that was the thing we knew was going to be the case, you mm -hmm. know, like we didn't go into this thinking, oh yeah, they'll just have an easy time walking through that. Um, yeah. But I can understand why people would look at us and go, Hey, did you know this was going to be exhausting? We did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that some of the players on, on blue, the feedback we got was like, oh, it was more tiring than I thought it was going to be, which, you know, absolutely fair. If you have no expectation, you know, yeah. how are you going to figure <laughs> I've it out? I've never done this right? before. It was very tiring. Yeah, fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I think we, I had a really great piece of feedback uh, from someone that basically said being on blue was really hard. By the midpoint of the day, everybody was tired. It was much more physically demanding than I thought. And if I had to pick another team again, I would still pick blue. Great. Right? Like that's, so that's I think like, that's rad. Like, like that's yeah. really good feedback. Because it tells me that what we were trying to do in creating this game was give blue the opportunity to have a new experience with Airsoft. Right. And in general, like for you, you know, like it's a very interesting experience for people to push themselves and their limits physically for people who may have never done that before. Yeah, right. Especially for um, people who haven't done that at an airsoft game. Right. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Right. What does it feel like to be completely gassed? Some people have never experienced that. Some people have never hit the hit the wall where they're like, oh my God, like I can't keep going. Like I'm out of, I'm out of energy. Like I need you know, I need to rest, except some people never experienced that, especially in the context of Airsoft. So we wanted to provide that opportunity for, for players. And I think in that respect, based on the feedback that we got, that was successful. Um, that being said, I'm not necessarily sure if that's the kind of mechanic that I would want to use every single game um, because it is so tiring. It is so taxing, right? You know, if it was me and the guys like you and me and Chris and John and everybody else. And you gave me that. I would take that one every single time because I know I can crush that. I can go literally all day. Let's go. Um, but not everyone is like that. Right. And so if I'm going to be organizing the games, especially uh, I'm not going to be playing them. So, you know, we want to make sure that people have the kinds of experience that is still fun for them. It's cool to have that experience. Once you may not want to sign up for it a second time, not knowing what you know. Right. So I think that's, uh, that's good feedback for us to to keep in mind as we continue. And I mean, you know, we don't want this to become stale. So like, we're not going to use the same rule set every game. Definitely. But yeah, it's, this is both a, okay, it's a cool thing to have in our pocket. Um, we're probably going to try to iterate on it, but also we may use it again, you know? Yeah. The other thing that we use with blue was the Redcon mechanic, which I talked about in the podcast last week. Um, and that worked pretty well. Like I drilled in with Jeremy and with his team to make sure that they fully understood how that mechanic had to work. And I have to say, I think they, they all got it. I, I don't think there was any issues with that. We didn't need to brief red because it didn't involve them. But like we told them like, Hey, they have a squad respawn mechanic. This is how it works. Don't worry about it. Uh, but the blue team, I was like, you guys need to know this. You need to know. And you know, uh, to to their credit, they all understood, or the vast majority of them uh, understood. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we had any issues with it during play. No, well, um, we had some we had some byproduct issues. Yeah, but um, no, none that were directly just people not understanding this and how it works. Yeah, and I think it's really important for people to understand, like the intent of that rule 
was that because Blue was going to be bushwhacking and going through the woods and all this kind of stuff, we wanted to have a mechanic that forced the squad to stay together. That made it so that the players would not lose each other and like go back to the spawn without each other. And then half the people are out there. They don't know where everybody else is, etc. You must play well with others. <laughs> yeah. But that was based on the idea that the squads would be larger. Like eight, seven, eight, ten players. Something like that. On the day of, and I told Jeremy, you can do whatever as commander. You set up your squads however you want. And so he opted for smaller squads. So instead of raking up his 15 players in two, he broke them up into four, which I thought was bananas, but he made it work. So kudos to him. But the result of that was the retcon mechanic wasn't as necessary because ultimately they weren't really getting separated in the same way because their squads were much smaller. If one or two players got hit, well, the third player was somewhere nearby uh, and maybe hit himself or, you know, a ready, uh, ready to redcon or whatever. So that part, uh, the redcon mechanic is good. The part that I think was unnecessary was the ghosting. So we had set it up so that if you were hit and you were killed, you were a ghost and you just hung out there, which is what they do at Stag Ops. And again, in a larger squad, that works and is necessary to maintain unit cohesion. In these smaller squads, I'm not necessarily sure that it would be. I mean, so especially where we, we had the commander... Three, we also don't have 300 people, right? Like, Yeah, well, I don't think Stag Ops has that many, but that's that's <laughs> beside the point. Um, we also had Jeremy as the commander being the gatekeeper of his squads, and he was putting people back out there. Um, so when they would retcon, Jeremy would be there, and he would say, okay, get your food, get your water, and get back out there. And so he would know, okay, do you have all your squad members? You know, where is Bravo 3-3? Where's Bravo 3-4? Oh, there they are. Okay, perfect. You're all here. All right, get your stuff and you can go back out. So from a policing standpoint, we easily could have done away with the ghost rule. And if you were dead dead, you could just come back, go back to the spawn, wait for your squad, and then you would respawn with them, which also would give them the opportunity to refill their ammo and take a bit more of a rest, which given, again, the maturity level of our community in terms of these types of events would probably be better. So... For me, and I think you probably will agree with me, Redcon mechanic, good. Ghosting, not necessary. And we'll definitely use Redcon again with that modification. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the ghosting thing also, like, it provided complications. Um, you know, we had a couple of instances of people... I, I don't think people who were uh, dead talking about, like, what was going on in the game. I think they just got bored because they didn't have anything to do for 10 minutes and talk to the other ghost, right? Yeah. Um, and that was... Uh, a thing we told them not to be doing, but I can kind of understand why you'd be like, well, I'm just sort of here. Um, yeah, exactly right. You know, and I think also uh, if we had allowed them to just go back to Jeremy and be wrangled in that way, um, it would have had all of the effects we wanted uh, while also getting them a few extra minutes to sit down in a lot of cases or to, you know, toss some carbs in their faces and reload, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I think it probably wouldn't be good for the fluidity of play in a general sort of sense. Um, but, uh, it was also worth trying. Right. And absolutely. And the feedback on the Redcon was good overall. I think more players liked it than they disliked it. Uh, with the exception of the ghosting, which a few players mentioned in their feedback and totally agree. Uh, some people also said if I was a ghost, I would get overshot. Right. So maybe dead rags should be mandatory, which, um, dead rags are not mandatory where we play, but I think there's a good case for that for these types of events. And it's something that I've communicated to the field owners as well to say, they're not very expensive. You can stock them in your store um, and you can either rent them or sell them, you know, on the day of and make a little, you know, that's a revenue stream for you guys. That's great. But fundamentally, I think that would help a lot, avoid a lot of the issues yeah. that uh, that we saw. I agree. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, uh, I carry one and I use it because if I'm standing there with a red rag like hung over my hat or whatever, then I don't get shot as much when I'm dead. Yeah. And that's nice. Um, you know, so I think like making them mandatory um you know has the the challenge <laughs> of just like enforcement with our community for stuff like that is is iffy because mm, new players and stuff. Um but yeah. Uh strongly encouraged is definitely wording I'm I'm all for. And frankly, if Frontline has them and like can sell them for like five or ten bucks at the thing, yeah, 
mandatory is fine. <laughs> I mean, that's what they retail for in Canada, right? Five or ten dollars. No, exactly. like you can get a you can dead, get a dead rag for five bucks or get a fancy one in a pouch for ten bucks. Like <sighs> it's not too onerous. Uh I think, you know, one of the pieces of feedback um I got uh through through the grapevine was that someone was like, Oh, well, it's not it's not cool to have mandatory uniforms and mandatory radios. And I'm like, well, let me tell you. All events that I've seen have some sort of uniform dress code. Like when we go to Iron Horse, we have a dress code. If you look at, you know, um, Battle for LA, if you like, uh, you look, all of these events have dress codes. So number one, all of us are wearing camo. So just figure it out, right? And then in terms of a radio, like as an airsofter going to an event like that, you will likely want one. And it doesn't have to be some sort of fancy programmable thing that you need a ham license for. Just a regular like radio from Costco in a blister pack is like $40 or something. Split one with two of your mates and you're done. Like it's the easiest thing in the world and it adds so much value. So if you're saying like, listen, I don't want to play on blue because I don't like mandatory camo. My answer to that is that's fine. You don't have to play on blue. Other players are fine to do it, and, right? And we have a whole if, other team for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So on that part, I'm like, nah, I, I don't. But I mean, for a, for a dead rag or something like that, like nobody complains about, well, I have to wear iPro. It's like, yeah, you do, right? That's yeah. that's the bottom line, right? It's like, oh, you know, it's like, I don't want to wear iPro because it's too expensive. Literally don't care, right? Just wear it and and that's it like it's just yeah those types of conversations i'm like uh, airsofters are cheap overall uh, if you're not cheap i apologize you specifically uh but most airsofters are cheap i i've been there i get it but like 10 bucks for a kill rag is not the end of the world I mean, and realistically, if it helps you from complaining about being overshot well then you definitely should get one right and, and like let's face it if you're showing up to play in an eight-hour milsim game or quasi milsim game or whatever we're calling this mm -hmm. and you have a gun and you have bbs and like you have boots and goggles, you can afford a ten dollar kill rack. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And it's not fun and Gucci, but like you know what, it, it gets the job done. So again, I'm not going to browbeat anyone about this, but this was a really good suggestion that I had not considered. But multiple people were like, "I didn't like getting overshot as a ghost." Fair enough. Kill rags <laughs> solve that problem, right? That's it. Um. So that was the blue team mechanics that that we tried. That was great. So then the other thing that we were trying was that gameplay mechanic. And that was the creation of those those samples and the shipments and stuff. And what was interesting about that is that Red didn't really get it as a team. Like, they didn't understand how that was supposed to work. And so that led to confusion, and that led to them not creating samples and then shipments quickly enough. And the problem with that was that the the basically, aside from missions, the only way Blue could score points was to get shipments or to get samples. And so by accidentally not doing the thing because they didn't understand, that actually got in Blue's way because they didn't have as many victory points available for them to claim. Yeah, Blue, um, Blue couldn't get victory points because Red wasn't doing the thing to get Red victory yeah. points. Uh, and we hadn't really thought about that as a problem. Um, yeah. You know, we really, once Red was situated, we sort of envisioned, you know, between three and six... Uh, shipments, so victory points worth of um, fungus juice <laughs> uh, per hour. And yeah. we ended up having, like, over the course of the day, probably closer to one per hour. Um, yeah, and, like, uh, by the end of the day, it was less than one. They, they, well, no, actually, it was exactly one per hour, excuse me, exactly one per hour. It was six in total, two of which were spoiled by Blue. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, well but done, Blue. my expectation was that when the game whistle blew, Matt was going to look at some of his guys, look at a villager's like, you go set up that point, you go set up that point, start working immediately. That's what I thought was going to happen in my mind. And that did not happen. Multiple times through the day, I was asking the villagers who were just hanging around, I'm like, is Red asking you to do anything? They're like, nope, I just I just finished work. And then they 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 left me. And so now I'm just wandering the field. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like, do they know that they can work on multiple shipments at the same time? They're like, I don't know. They haven't brought it up. I'm like, oh, okay. And one of the one of the villagers, uh, from a, a gameplay design perspective, we had given him the role of lazy. Yeah, you just... do not work unless they're there to tell you to work. And you so the second they left him alone, <laughs> yeah, the second they left Steph alone, he was like, oh, see ya. 
And so he started wandering, and I'm like, I can't fault you. That's literally the character <laughs> yep. I gave you. Yep. You are doing exactly yeah. what we told you to do. <laughs> yeah, so there was a, a, a long portion of time where Red was not doing very much. Uh, and so that was because, you know, the, the gameplay and stuff. And I wasn't sure if they were really, they were really grasping and blue was doing a good job at intercepting and fighting them and preventing them from getting where they needed to go, et cetera. Blue did a great job uh, of preventing them from organizing, which was really good, except for the fact that it prevented them from organizing the thing for victory points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was absolutely this type of situation where blue should have wanted to observe and let them do the work and then once the work was completed, then attack them and steal their stuff or destroy the shipment, etc. But the blue players um, were going, but like, they're right there. I can mess with them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly the directive Jeremy gave them. And normally that would have been fine because by the time they were doing that, um, there would have been more shipments created, but that wasn't the case. So ultimately that mechanic was i think we got there eventually so so blues uh, excuse me red started making these shipments throughout the day they made a total of six shipments uh and they scored they scored a bunch which was great so excellent excellent work on, on their behalf uh at the end of the day uh they also had some more that were stored that they didn't ship so they scored points for that which was which was great so they did a really good job um and they were able to play in a way that was really smart and that didn't exploit the game mechanic, but also wasn't the way that I would have played it if I was playing it. And that's sort of like the, the Dungeon Master thing from Dungeons & Dragons. Like you come up with a with a scenario or whatever and you expect your players to do a certain thing. And then they just come out of left field and like, uh, I didn't ask how big the room was. I said, I cast Fireball, right? It's like, oh my God, right? So it's very much a situation of like, this is what I want to do. And uh, I remember re talking, to, talking to Matt on the radio being like, hey, so are you going to do any more shipments? And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's, that's what he's going to do. Um, and it's one of those so, things where perhaps we should have set a quota or something of that sort so that they, to push people to be, or to push red, to be doing that. Yes. Um, you know, and that's sort of a takeaway for us in a, okay, so yeah, we should think about that in the future, but also. Yeah. Command has given you the objective to complete 10 shipments by the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that, then that changes that dynamic because now you're like, oh, crap. Okay, I got to get on it, right? But also, you know, kudos to Matt for being like, oh, this is a way I can win the game. So I'm yeah. gonna, right? Like there's no, uh, you know, that's not how we thought it would go. But there's no like, oh, he was, you know, doing anything cheeky there. That's straight up looking at this and going, so I'm just going to do the smart thing. And we're like, yeah, uh, uh, fair. Yeah. <laughs> so... From a game, <laughs> yeah, and from a game balance perspective, I think that was fine. However, it did require us to take uh, some more balancing measures throughout the day. So, for example, uh, with Steph's role and John's role as villagers, um, at some point I had to tell them, "It's like, listen, you need to abandon your role that we've set out for you and just go out and do work." Yeah, just be like, assume that just you've be been told to do it. <laughs> And be helpful. Yeah, exactly. So that they can start getting the point of, okay, we need to start making these samples and stuff like that. And once they started throw, uh, giving them a bone a little bit more, uh, that was fine. And then it started working its way through. And I remember um, John and Josh were being really helpful and stuff like that. And I said, hey, you know, now it's, you know, dog got his bone, time to come back on the leash. And they're like, fine, cool. And they pulled it back and then let Red sort of carry on. And I don't think that made the difference between Red winning and losing. But it just set them on the right path to be able to be like, oh, right, okay, this is this is what we need to do. That also, you know, coincided with a bunch of other stuff, which we'll talk about in the recap. But from a gameplay standpoint, I think the the balancers were helpful in just shifting the, the focus to the right places at the right times, rather than just being um, saying, hey, oh, Red just won this because the balancers came in and, and just did work, which I do not believe is the case. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly um, a, a matter of going, so we're not entirely convinced they understand how this rule works. Yeah. Go do it a couple of times so that they understand, like, how this, the process works. And really, the outcome was, okay, they knew it, they didn't. They did after we gave them the example. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Let them do their thing. You guys stop being proactive. Yeah. So overall, I think um, 
that mechanic is definitely one that I want to reuse. I mean, not just because I made those six crates and, um, well, they were expensive to make. So now I want to keep using them. Uh, but, but they I were think fun that mechanics. Like, that's a mechanic that yes, people enjoyed. Yes, I think it was fun. And the, I think the players took it really seriously. Like, when they got the crate, they're like, okay, we got a shipment. Let's go. And so you have, like, pictures of the guy carrying the crate. And, like, the guy's, like, covering them, even though there's no enemies anywhere to be seen. But they felt really cool. So for those people for those players, they were really engaged in that moment. Uh, I think it's the kind of thing that we can, um, you know, refine. It's the kind of thing that uh, with a little bit more work and a little bit more knowledge, we can get to the point. So I think if I had to redo the whole thing, the only thing I would do differently in terms of the this particular mechanic, as I would have said to Red, uh, your objective is to not just make as many as you can. Your objective is to make, you know, X number, yeah. right? And ship X number because that's going to be your success point and encourage them to produce, right? To encourage them to get into fights with Blue and push them back so that they can start production right away. Numerous fights throughout the day were like back and forth around a control point. And then the fight would end and Red would move into the control point or not the control point, the harvesting point. But then the, they wouldn't task the villager to start working. They would just be like, hey, uh, cool, we own this now. And then Josh would just be sitting there and I'd be, I'd go up and see him and be like, hey, do you need anything? Are you good? He's like, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, are you working? He's like, nope, they haven't asked me to do anything yet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and plus, yeah. And plus he as a character did not like Red very much because a couple of times they hung him out to dry in a gunfight and he died. So he kept coming back. He's like, guys, like, are you going to protect me or not? Um, so anyways, that was, that was a bit of a, and, a you know, side it, note it there. It creates this sort of interesting situation where uh red is doing a really great job of capturing the control points um but <laughs> clearly they haven't played starcraft because they haven't realized that they need to send the peasant to harvest the lumber or they don't get lumber <laughs> like you know yeah exactly <laughs> so i think in terms of they the require mechanics more vespian gas <laughs> yeah yeah so i think in terms of the mechanics like all of that worked really well i think that the um the the crates and stuff like that some small, some small minor adjustments, but we got there in the end. I think that's that's the biggest thing, right? The teams were able to score, they were able to intercept, and they were able to cause havoc for each other, um, which was the whole point. Um, and I think overall, by the end of it, Blue had put in tremendous amount of work. As I mentioned, like spoiler alert, Blue did not win, Red won. It was a very close game. Uh, a couple more shipments uh, sabotaged or. Uh, stolen by blue would have tipped it in the tipped it the yeah. other way. I mean, even and, if, yeah. um, you know, and I'm not going to explain why we'll save this for the, the gameplay video, but like, even if red had had one more shipment early in the game stored. <laughs> just, yeah, mm. um, exactly. So it was a really close game. Um, people came out, people had fun, you know, uh, there were a few, you know, things that I oh, would make that, change would do this even better this way but um people came out to play plasto was blastoed fun was had yeah and the mechanics that we set out to to test i think we proved conclusively that they are tenable in our community definitely it is possible for us to say hey there's a uniform requirement and a, a gear requirement and people go okay and they rise to the occasion it is possible for us to say hey this is going to be physically demanding for you uh, and they go, okay, and they rise to the occasion. It is possible for us to create objectives that are not just, hey, go here, capture this, but like, go here, do this thing, this random thing's going to happen, bring it here, do this other thing, bring it over there, interact with this person, and have that level of complexity, and for them to still be able to rise to the occasion. And also give them the opportunity to roleplay if they want to, which they also did as even even though role playing wasn't as big of a focus for us in this game it was still possible to do that and they did so or those who were interested in it at least at the very least did so so this showed me that even though our community is is pretty young and quote unquote immature in terms of the the their development for these types of uh events we're we're getting there yep yeah, and they're right? willing we're to getting that comprehension and that buy in and they're willing to rise to the occasion right like that's yeah enormous just the fact that our community is interested right is a thing we're not yeah. sure of um they're willing to work with us and try to figure this stuff out so that's encouraging that's a momentum for us yeah and you know it's it's really interesting to me because 
there's, I'm sure, an assumption by many airsofters out there um, that, because we talked about it before, it's like, oh, well, renters this and kids that and all this kind of stuff. Lots of the players on the blue team were renters and kids. There was at least one squad of three guys who were friends. They showed up in Woodland-esque, like <laughs> civilian stylized Woodland rain gear. That's certainly green, they good rented, enough. <laughs> yeah, like they rented their uh their replicas they rented vests from frontline they were wearing paintball masks and they still got out there and they still did work yep they rose to the occasion they drank their food they ate, they ate their water and they were out there plugging for Jer for jeremy as the blue commander all day long um so the idea that like oh well your community needs to be experienced to be able to do things is complete rubbish so if you're listening to this and you're like oh i wonder if i could do something like this in my community my answer is almost certainly yes if you plan it out and you give people enough time and opportunity to absorb what you're putting out there yep. um and sort of you give you give them enough leeway you know you give them the rope and say hey this is just take this rope here we'll lead you all you got to do is follow follow along do your best and, and you will be surprised i think and and i was definitely surprised in more ways than one but in positive ways um you're also always going to get negative feedback that's one thing that you know is not uh is a constant in in events when you ask for feedback from people you are going to get at least one or 2% of people out there who are just going to be shitty, who are just going to be like, I'm not satisfied with any of it. One of the pieces of feedback that we got was, oh, uh, the only way the op could be better is if you don't let the storm riders organize it. Like, that's not really helpful. Um, and I mean, it's not really kind or whatever, but that's not their purpose. They're just being a jerk. The vast majority of the feedback that you will get will be either positive, which is awesome. Like people will be like, nothing, this op was perfect. I'm glad you think so, but I disagree. I think there are things we could do better. And then you get some some really constructive stuff. The great thing about it is that the constructive stuff, you can read it, you can internalize it, and you can say, okay, which of this are is actually stuff that we can do something about, right? That's, that is an issue, an opportunity for improvement for us versus which uh, which of that is an issue with that individual and their experience or what have you. And you'll get it, you'll get a mix of both. And it's, you know, Sometimes can be a little difficult to suss out, but if you're going out there and you're trying stuff and you're getting negative feedback, like, don't worry, that happens to everybody. You can just, you know, yeah. ignore the haters and focus on the, focus on the constructive Don't take stuff. it too much to hurt. Yeah. And let me tell you, it can be hard, especially if like, you're like Pat and I, and you spent months and months and months preparing this up, thinking about rules, coming up with stuff, um, and really hoping that you you know the community will love it which they do but then one person comes out and tries to ruin your day now nah, forget that man like don't worry about it don't worry too, uh don't you know don't let it bug you too much uh and and focus on the positives and for us there's a tremendous amount of positives from this game um really really good experience i would say by the vast majority of players or from the vast majority of players and um you know this is a really good way for us to cap out the year i think we had a really strong airsoft season and finishing off with an event like that uh is really really cool so now we get to move on to the next part which is toying with what are we going to do next time how is it going to be different how is it going to be i have no doubt that it will be better or will improve on some of the some of the feedback points but how are we going to keep it fresh and unique for people and give them an experience that uh that they in whole or in part haven't really experienced before. Yep. What can we do next time is definitely one of the fun pieces, you know, and, yeah. and honestly, you know, one of the weirdest things for me is like my response to the, Oh, it'd be better if the storm artists didn't rise it. Awesome. Organize a game. We'd love to come play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like... totally. Yeah. I said, you know, I said to, to Jeremy, I was like, you know, um, we have never been able to play as a whole team for any op because any op that we that has been organized here uh has either been uh, a frontline op which is you know like if if any of you who are listening played the old ops that the frontline used to put off it was like basically 20 30 minutes of action then just a 20 30 minute break and then uh switch sides and do it again kind of situation right um i think if you were to reverse some of these roles and you would put all the storm riders on the blue team and then have you know the red team as whoever like 
we would knock that game into the stratosphere. I'm pretty sure <laughs> because, you know, people don't let us play together because it's, you know, at the opens and stuff, I totally get it. It's not, it's absolutely not fun to go out there and just get rolled. Right. And that's not what we find fun either, but an event like this, if someone is listening to this and they want to organize an event in, in, in town, talk to frontline, get it off the ground and we will come to your op. Um, if you assuming you'll have us, um, <laughs> because it, it, we would love to do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, one of the things that I think is demonstrable in what we just ran is that coordinated, organized groups are a lot more effective than the sum of their parts. Yeah. Um, you know, we have done a bunch of that. We like doing that. It's kind of what we're here for. Um, so mm -hmm. in some ways we're trying to give people an experience that we enjoy, um, and have yeah. enjoyed. And, you know, if people are like, oh, I have another idea. Great. You know, if people are like, oh, I want to run something similar and you guys can slog it through the woods for eight hours. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, 100%. If you want my, all of my Spore Cloud documents and run the exact same game and we can play blue, you know, um, let's go. Like, uh, fill your boots, as I like to say. Like, uh, I'm because I would certainly fill mine. Put it we that are that way. kind of Muppet. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so overall, like, I'm, I'm really glad with the game. I, uh, it was just a positive experience. I had a really good time running it. We've got some tremendous photos, some awesome videos, some awesome drone video that, that Jason was able to get for us. I'm really looking forward to um, to editing all that together uh, into a recap video for you guys to talk about the action of the day. Like what happened? What were the plays like? Um, what were the, the, the two teams doing? So really, really uh, looking forward to that. Jason got to weird um, me out with the drone can... a whole bunch, which is a thing I know he gets a chuckle out of. So. That's also too yeah. good. So something for you guys to look into um, uh, in the you know next couple of coming weeks, I would say we'll uh, have that video out. But until then, that's really all I have here for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening. It's again always a treat um, to be able to to do these um, these episodes and know that some people are listening. So thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.